with it being Mother's Day, um, if you have had uh, the privilege of, of sending your kids to preschool, usually they come back the, the week before Mother's Day with one of these or something like it. And here's what this is. This is when the preschool teacher sits down with the kid and asks your kid a bunch of questions about you. And then you get the joy of seeing what their response is. So this is from Collins, my four-year-old daughter who's in preschool. And when their teacher, her teacher asked her some questions, I want to read to you her answers. So here's from Collins. Here's some of the questions on how she filled in the blank. My mom's name is Becky. That one's true. That one's very accurate. She is four or seven years old. Now, Becky and I had a little bit of an argument on this one. We're reading through it and just cracking up the whole way through. I said, do you think she actually said four or seven, or did Colin say 47? We'll leave that one alone there. Her favorite color is white, which is half and half true. And you're, you notice that with these. Like, sometimes they're true. Sometimes they're not true. Sometimes they're, like, halfway true. I say that's halfway true because Colin's probably just overheard Becky talking over and over and over about her desire for white cabinets in our kitchen, which is probably where that came from. Her favorite food is spaghetti. I don't think that's true at all. My, my mom's job is to always do laundry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Mom and I love to have mommy time. True. Mom is really good at doing dishes. <laughs> Leaving that one alone as well, but yes, also true. This one's great. This one's great. My mom always says, and then the fill in the blank. Here it is. When I get in trouble, she says, get in your room. <laughs> Out of all the things my wife tells our kids, that's what she remembers. That's great. Last one here. Last one here. I love my mom because she goes on a date with me. True. Aww. Isn't it interesting, though? Like, two things that I recognize when I read through that. First of all, I kind of mentioned already that some of those are actually true. Some of those are not anywhere near true. Some of them have like a root or a glimpse of truth, but holistically, they're not necessarily true. So it's fascinating that here a four-year-old recognizes there, there's some things that are true, but even the things that aren't true, guess what? She spoke as if they were true. Like to her, Becky's favorite food is spaghetti. And I'm positive that's not accurate. So oftentimes, even though it's not true, we often act on it as if it were true. The other thing that I think is interesting here is what the four-year-old tends to focus on or fixate on. Like, there could have been a lot of other things. My mom always says, there's a lot of things that we as parents always say. There's a lot of things that my wife always says to our kids. It's interesting that that's the one she chose to fixate on. Not everything that we think is true. Not everything we fix our thoughts on should have our thoughts fixed on it. I think the same is true for us. We are not a four-year-old filling out a, a questionnaire about our parents, but there are things that we might say are true that are true. There's things that we might think are true, but they're really not true. There's things that we think about, and when asked about it, our thoughts immediately go to, but should our thoughts immediately go there? Because once again, just because we think it doesn't mean it's true. Just because we think it doesn't mean 
That's where our thoughts should be. Colossians chapter 3 tells us where our thoughts should be, what we should fix our thoughts on and what we should even think about. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, so if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of his, this is talking to you. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights, your eyes, set your sights on the realities of heaven. In other words, the truths of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2, look, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. That's where we are to fix our thoughts. That's what we are to focus on. Now, if you're like me, your life tends to look a little bit like this in your thinking, in your thoughts, where I'm supposed to think of the things of heaven, so I'm focused on the realities and the truths of God, but then something happens and all of a sudden, my thoughts are now on the things around me and the problems and the situations and the issues and the relationships and the broken relationships. But then I'm supposed to think on the things of God but then I get distracted again and I think of the things of earth and so you just go through life and it looks a lot like this. And this is, gives you, this is what gives you whiplash throughout life, doesn't it? I'm supposed to think of the things of God, think of the truths of heaven, the realities of heaven, but then things happen in life that steal our focus. Our thoughts get hijacked by things that aren't necessarily true, things that might have Roots in truth, but they're kind of half-truths or things that shouldn't even be where our mind dwells. So no longer should our thoughts be hijacked. May we live like this, where our thoughts are focused on the truths and the realities of God, thinking of the things of God rather than the things of earth. Now, that's a, that's a tall order. How do we begin to do that? Where do we even begin to start? I want to give you a starting point. By no means is this exhaustive, is this everything, but I want to give you a starting point. And it's kind of obvious, and you would probably expect to hear this from a pastor on a Sunday morning in church. You ready? Prayer. Start there. Because it's a conversation with him. So if you want to think of the things of God, we should talk to him. If you want to keep your thoughts focused on the things of God and the things of heaven, then that's where we're going to have our conversations, and that's where we're going to focus. But not just prayer. I'm going to add a word. This is my word, not here. This is my word. Not just prayer. I want you to develop a deep prayer life. The reason I add the word deep there is because prayer means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And in fact, we even say, yeah, yeah, I pray. Well, tell me about your prayer life. And you might begin to tell me the times you pray or what you pray about, and, and those are great. I'm not minimizing them whatsoever. Scripture tells us there's power in prayer. In fact, not just power in prayer, but we're told to pray on all occasions, all kinds of prayers. So I'm not going to stand here and say, well, these are really good prayers. These, not so much. These are really important and powerful prayers. Uh, these are kind of like shallow prayers. That's not what I'm saying. When I talk about a deep prayer life, I mean you are encompassing your relationship with God by talking with him and about all kinds of different things. So let me give you an example. If you consider your prayer life, well, I pray before meals, I pray before bed, and, and well, yeah, that's about it. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Can I encourage you to take a step and to go a little deeper in your prayer life, where you begin to tell him not just thank you for these things, or I need these things, but you begin to open up your heart and your soul of God. This is what I'm dealing with. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I don't know what to do. Like that's another level of conversation with God. Does that make sense? Not if you're with me. 
So all your prayers are powerful and beneficial. I'm wanting you to grow and take a deeper step into your prayer life, to develop a deep prayer life. So we're going to look at an example of that. And, and a man named Elijah, you're going to find his story in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to get an incredible prayer of his, a very deep, and I would even use the word heavy prayer, that Elijah is going to pray. We'll get to that prayer in a second, but you've got to understand some context here. I don't have time to go through the entire thing with you, so this week, if I can give you some homework, read 1 Kings chapter 18. An incredible chapter of some incredible stories. I will boil it down, but you're going to miss a ton if you don't go and read it. So take a few minutes this week, read chapter 18 out of 1 Kings. Here's the gist of it. Elijah is a prophet of God, which means God tells Elijah something, and then Elijah takes that message and tells other people. He basically says, God says this. Sometimes he would say, God says you're doing a great job, keep it up. Usually that wasn't the message from the prophets. Usually God sent them when they were doing something wrong. So most of Elijah's messages would be going to God's people and the surrounding nations and say, you're doing it wrong. Here's what God says. Change in this way. Do this. Stop doing this. Repent of that. Change your ways. Change your thinking even. So that's what Elijah was in the process of doing. See, at that time, the king and his wife had led the people astray to where they were worshiping a false god named Baal. So all of these people were worshiping a false god. So Elijah shows up and says, you're doing it wrong. God says to follow him. Stop worshiping the false god. Start worshiping the one true god. And I don't want to spoil the story, but it's awesome. It involves fire raining down from heaven and cool stuff like that. Read chapter 18 this week. It'll blow your mind. So Elijah got to be part of this incredible story of seeing God move in a mighty, mighty way. Literally, literally, Elijah saw God rain fire down from heaven to prove that he's the one true God almighty. Elijah saw that, was part of that. But then something happened where Elijah's thoughts went from focusing on the things of God to focusing on the things of earth and the problems around him. That's where we're going to pick up the story, but that gives you a little context. So Elijah has, seen, has just seen and witnessed and experienced something amazing. And now look what happens in verse 1 of chapter 19. When Ahab, that's the king that had been leading God's people astray, when Ahab got home, he went and tattletailed to his wife Jezebel. Jezebel, everything Elijah had done. Can you just picture that scene? Here comes the king, defeated, can't believe what just happened. All these prophets that were worshiping false gods had died, and so now he walks into his home defeated. Jezebel, you won't believe what Elijah did to me today. Like, that's basically what's happening. He told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel, his wife, sent this message to Elijah. Here's her message. May the gods strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Yeah. Now, there's just something, because what's, what's about to happen, this message that got sent to Elijah is what sends him in a tailspin and a downward spiral of his thoughts. It's interesting that he had just, again, seen God do a miracle and show his might and power, but one letter from a woman sent him on a downward spiral. There might be a lesson in there, but I'm not going to touch that one. It's Mother's Day. <laughs> he gets the message from Jezebel, and he freaks out. He's like, I can't do this anymore. And his thoughts go from here to here. Now, I will call this a, 
a moment, uh, um, you know those, um, what are they called again, these little mints, you know what I'm talking about here? There they are, the mentos. You know these? I would call this a mentos moment because everything was fine in Elijah's life, and then this got dropped in and everything blew up. So I was talking this through with my kids. I was like, hey, have you heard of like the Mentos explosion experiment? And they're like, no, what are you talking about? I was like, let's go to Kroger right now. So we went and got a bunch of Diet Cokes and Mentos. We bought them all out practically. And we were in the backyard. I'm like, here's what you got to do. And I didn't totally explain what was going to happen. So I said, get the Diet Coke. And then you've got to get the Mentos in the Diet Coke as fast as possible and just wait and see what happens. And I kind of got my phone ready because I was like, this is going to be great. And it's true, you drop Mentos down into a Diet Coke and it just explodes. In fact, here's a picture I got with my kids doing it for the first time. <laughs> they drop them in there and it's great. Like Connor, my oldest, is like, what's about to happen? So he starts backing up. My middle son, Cole, that's mid-sprint for him. It's, huh! like that's him. He's like, I'm out of here. All because they dropped some Mentos in a Diet Coke. Then we proceeded to do it for like the next two hours. So a lot of fun if you're looking for something to do today. But that's what happened for Elijah, right? Everything was fine. And then one message, one problem, one issue, one situation, one Mentos gets dropped in the Diet Coke, and all of a sudden, everything is exploding around him. And his thoughts, once again, shift from the things of God to the things around him. Notice how his thoughts change. So after he gets the message, here's verse 3. Notice the tailspin. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed. Hear his deep press. That was going to be heavy. Here it is. And he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. How do you get from a place of seeing and witnessing and experience God's might, God's power, God's glory, and very quickly get to a place of, I don't know how much longer I can do this. God, where are you? Are you even there? Do you even care? How did he get to that place? It had to do with how his thoughts shifted from the things of God to the things and the problems of this earth. You see, our thoughts are not always a reflection of truth. And that's what we see here. Oftentimes, yes, our thoughts can reflect truth, but not all the time. Our thoughts can be deceiving. Our thoughts can hijack our truth. So here we see it with Elijah. Notice this first thought. It says that he was afraid. What made him afraid? Again, I keep going back to chapter 18. He saw God rain fire down from heaven. Why is he afraid of Jezebel? Why is he worried? See, worry and fear at its very root is saying my problems are bigger than God. That's where fear and worry come from. So all of a sudden, he has shifted. Elijah's thoughts have shifted from God can do anything to except if it deals with Jezebel. My God can overcome anything except this problem. My God can conquer anything except this. And his thoughts changed and his thoughts shifted. So now he's afraid and he's worried. He's saying, my God can't do this. My problem is too big. My problem is too big for my God to take care of. All because he took his eyes off of God and focused his eyes and his thoughts on his problem. Notice what happens next. So he's worried, he's afraid, he's running away. Then it says that he left his servant in a town and went alone into the wilderness. Isn't that what fear and worry does often to, oftentimes to us? Where we start to isolate ourselves. 
Now, this is not anything against alone time. We all need alone time. Moms, make sure you get some alone time today. Alone time can charge you up and refill you. This is not alone time. This is isolation. Very different. Understand the difference. Isolation starts to say, I I can't have anybody in my life. I don't need anybody in my life. I don't want anybody in my life. I've got to take care of this on my own. This is my problem to solve. This is my burden to bear. Do you hear the difference there? He leaves his servant. At this point, this is the only person, don't miss this, this is the only person that was there to speak truth into Elijah's life. And Elijah said, I don't need you anymore. So now Elijah is off on his own with his own thoughts, without anybody else speaking into his life. He isolates himself and he begins to rely only on himself, not God and not the people around him. And then he gets to that heavy prayer. But kudos to him for praying, though. Instead of it coming across as just complaining, he actually goes to God with this, which is a great thing to do. He prays and says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Let's just be done with it. I don't even think discouragement is a strong enough word to describe where he's at. Discouragement, disappointment, depressed, to the place where he said, I can't do this anymore. Now notice his discouragement and even this moment of depression here comes on the heels of him traveling all day. Did you catch that? He went alone into the wilderness traveling all day. So he's tired. He's exhausted. And then he says, I can't keep going. And then it continues a downward spiral. Notice what he does at the very last part of his prayer. Did you catch it? He says, I'm no better than. There's a word for that. Comparison. I'm no better than they are. I'm no better than my ancestors. What's the point? And again, his thoughts continue to steal his joy, to steal his peace, and to hijack the truth. That's where he ends up. So how do you get from a place where you see God moving and doing incredible things in your life all the way to a place where you're like, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. It has to do with where your thoughts are and what your thoughts are focused on. And once again, he went from thoughts on God to thoughts on the problems around him. One other little side note here. It's interesting how we get irrational in our thinking when our thoughts are not of God. So at the very end, he says, I've had enough. Take my life for I'm no better. In other words, he says, I want to die. What's interesting is this whole thing started because somebody else wanted to kill him. Do you understand the irony there? (laughs) Oh, no, she's trying to kill me. God, just please kill me. I'm like It doesn't make sense, but that's true with our thoughts. Our thoughts, when they're not focused on God, start to become irrational, and they are no longer based in truth. So here's what I want us to do. Now, that gives you a little idea, and we probably all resonate with that and relate to that. Not very helpful at this point. The next next part of this story in this passage here speaks to how God answers Elijah's prayer. Now, keep in mind, Elijah prayed that he would die, and this would all be over. So when God doesn't totally answer your prayers the way that you pray them, that's a good thing sometimes. So here God is saying, I'm going to answer your prayer, but not in the way that you think, Elijah. So notice, because of Elijah's deep prayer of not just, hey, God, how's it going? It's a, God, I'm done. God, I'm struggling. I don't know if I can go any longer. I'm no better than God. Where are you? Why is this happening? Like that is a deep prayer where Elijah opens up his heart to his heavenly father, and here's God's response. This is what I want you to hold on to. Here's the next part, verse five. So then he, Elijah, laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. 
He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. By the way, this is the biblical, um, not just suggestion, I would almost say like command and support for snacks and naps in Scripture. (laughs) Right here. He slept, he got up and ate, and then he laid back down again. Verse 7, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. So more snacks and more naps. But notice why. Look at this. This is insightful. Get up and eat some more, the angel said, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Some of you just need to hear that. The journey that you're on, the the difficulties ahead of you, most definitely will be too much for you. So stop trying to walk it on your own. Notice what God did there, how God answered part of Elijah's prayer. He strengthened him, physically strengthened him. When Elijah was at his weakest, God showed up and strengthened him. He did not take away the problem. Please don't miss that. We would almost expect God to swoop in and say, no problem, I'm gonna take care of this Jezebel. Your life is gonna be protected. I'm gonna save you and I'm gonna take care of all the people that are coming after you. God doesn't do that. He says, I am going to be your strength when you are weak. And he strengthens Elijah just as he strengthens us in prayer. If you heard at the very beginning of service, Becky read out of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, where Jesus says, come to me, all who are, do you remember the word? All who are weary. And what does he promise? And I will give you rest for your souls. Yes. So when we come to Jesus with an open heart in a deep prayer life, we're saying, I can't do this on my own. I'm done. I'm exhausted. I got nothing left. But as we come to Jesus, he's the one that strengthens us. That's where we find our rest. That's who our hope is in. So as you develop a deep prayer life of opening up your heart and your soul and your mind to him, he is the one that strengthens you. We try to find our strength in so many other things and places and people. Jesus say, no, come to me. Your strength is only found in me, he says. So God strengthens us through our prayers. Now there's a next part. So after Elijah gets strength, he gets where he can actually walk again, God directs him and leads him to walk quite a, quite a more ways, in fact, 40 more days to a cave, and then they're going to have a conversation. Look at this next part, verse 11. So God commands Elijah, here's what he says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him, And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? God was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. He was not in the wind, the windstorm. He was in the whisper. See, oftentimes we want God to be loud. We almost get upset. God, why aren't you being so loud? If I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, I just saw you be loud. I saw fire come down from heaven. I've seen it. I've heard you be loud. Where are you now? Why aren't you being so loud? In my worry, why aren't you loud? In my depression, why aren't you loud? In my discouragement and disappointment and my my anxiety, why aren't you being loud? Where are you now? Instead, God whispers. He says, Elijah, 
the whole purpose of a whisper is that we have to be quiet in order to hear it. We have to get quiet. We have to get still. And even as I'm talking to you in a whisper now, everybody is quiet because you're trying to hear. You even lean in. You strain to try to pick up on the words that are being spoken in a whisper. God was trying to draw Elijah in close. You don't need to be close if you're yelling and screaming. You need to be close in order to hear a whisper. So here Elijah, in one of his darkest times where his thoughts have hijacked his life at this point, God strengthens him, but then he draws him in close, and that's exactly what he does for us as well. God draws us in closer. He wants you to take another step towards him, and if he whispers, you have to take a step towards him. You have to move closer in order to hear him, and it requires us to quiet our own lives, to quiet our thoughts, to be still, to hear him. In fact, Psalms tells us that. Psalms says, be still and know. Do you know the end of this one? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and close your eyes and know, meditate on, fill your thoughts. By the way, Christian meditation is different than other versions of meditation. Our version, biblical meditation, is to fill your thoughts of the things of God, not to empty your thoughts. So we fill our thoughts with the things of God in a moment of stillness and quiet. Again, love how we pray. The fast prayers, the multitasking prayers, the prayers on the way out, the prayers on the way in. To pray like this, to hear the whisper of God, to be still and know that he is God, requires us to be still, to stop and to pause long enough to have a conversation with him, a deeper conversation with him not just a high and by conversation with our Father. So he strengthens us, his strength and our weakness. He draws us in close as he forces us and calls us to be still, to be calm, to be quiet. And then lastly, verse 15, look what God does next as he begins to talk and have a conversation with Elijah. Verse 15, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus, when you arrive there, notice the, the order here and the next steps. It's almost like God is just giving him a, a checklist of things to do. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And then anoint Elisha to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. In other words, Elijah, I got it. <laughs> You're worried about things that I'm already taken care of. Last verse, verse 18, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. That last part's important because Elijah thought he was the only one following God. He says, I'm the only one. Remember how he isolated himself? I'm the only one. No one else is following God. It's all over. The world is doomed. Take me now. Sounds like Facebook today. <laughs> and God says, Elijah, I got this. This wasn't a surprise to God. Jezebel's message to Elijah didn't shock God. It didn't worry God. It did not surprise God, but it freaked Elijah out. So God is saying, I've got it. That's what he does in our prayer life. As we read through his word and we hear his whispers through his word and through his Holy Spirit, God proves that he has a plan. We might not understand it. We might not know it. To this point, Elijah didn't know what God's plan was. And God's like, 
I told you I had it under control. Do this, do this. This is what's going to happen next. It's going to be all right. I've got it. God proves that he has a plan, that he's got you, and he's got this as well. Those aspects of how God responded to Elijah's prayer and how he responds to your prayers with him as well, that's what gets our thoughts back on him. When our thoughts get hijacked with half-truths and even lies, the lies of worries and discouragement and disappointment and isolation and self-reliance, when those lies start to seep into our thoughts, it takes our thoughts from here and moves them back to the things of earth and we see all the problems and issues around us. So what God did was he strengthened him. I've got you. He whispered to him and says, I'm here. And he says, I've got a plan. So trust me. And those aspects of God answering Elijah's prayer is what moved his eyes back on God. Same thing for us. When we pray, our thoughts move back to the things of God. So here's what I would tell you. Fight for truth. Fight for truth to consume your thoughts. Elijah at the very get-go started to believe some half-truths. Was it true that Jezebel was out to kill him? Yes. Was it true that God couldn't do anything about it? No. But he acted as if God wouldn't or couldn't do anything about it, so therefore he ran for his life. Don't allow the lies and the half-truths to hijack your thoughts. So when you have thoughts of worry and you start to hear the lies of worry, remind yourself of the truth that God is bigger than anything else, that the creator of the universe cares for you. In fact, we're told, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Remind yourself of the truth. When you start to feel like isolating and taking a step back, when you start believing and hearing the thoughts and the lies of, I have to do this on my own, no one else is around, no one else can help, no one else will help, help remind yourself of the truth that God is always with you and that God has placed people in your life for a reason. When you start to hear the lies of discouragement and disappointment, remind yourself of the truth that God is not done with you yet, that God has a plan for you, that nothing shocks God, that his ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Remind yourself of who he is. That's great. The next logical question, if you were to fight for the truth to consume your thoughts, is, well, how do I know the truth? (laughs) Sounds great on the first part. How do we figure out the truth? Here you go. You ready? Get to know Jesus. If you want to know truth, the truth, it's not an idea. The truth is not subjective. The truth is a person, Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, he says. So if you want to get to know the truth, if you want to figure out the truth, if you want to discover the truth, get to know Jesus. The best way I know to get to know Jesus is to have a conversation with him, to talk with him. That's prayer, where we talk with him and we pour out our hearts and we listen to him through his word and the quiet whispers of him speaking back to our hearts. So begin that conversation with him. In fact, that's one of the reasons why today we are giving out, if you got it already, great. If not, grab it on your way out, a prayer journal prayer journal on your way out for everybody. Yes, it's got pink writing because it obviously is Mother's Day, but guys, grab one too. Here's the whole purpose of a prayer journal, to get you to first slow down. Takes a lot more time to write out a prayer, doesn't it? So it requires you to stop or at least pause, slow down and write it down. It also gives you the opportunity to look back at what God has done. 
when Elijah's thoughts went from the things of God to the problems around us, he very quickly forgot what God had just done in chapter 18. My goodness, if you don't read chapter 18 this next week, I don't know what to tell you. I've said it about 100 times this morning. (laughs) How often do we forget about the things that God has done in our life because we're focused on the things of this world instead of focusing on the things of God, and this will help you with that. Say, oh, wow, God, you did answer this, and look at how you showed up this, and you answered that. I didn't even know how to ask for that. And it keeps your thoughts on the things of God and not the problems of this world. Develop a deeper prayer life. Whatever you're doing in your prayer life, keep doing that. Take a next step and lean into the whispers of God. Allow him to strengthen you. Allow him to draw you in closer. And allow him to prove to you that he has a plan. I'll give you a suggestion for maybe the first part of your prayer journal. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6. We're told this. Don't worry about anything. Say anything with me. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Say everything. Everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That is the definition of a deep prayer life right there that I'm going to pray for everything. God, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I don't know. Here's my uncertainties and my unknowns. Here's where I'm scared. Here's where I'm afraid. And so God, keep my focus and my thoughts on you. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's what Elijah experienced after God responded to his prayers, and that's what you can experience as well as you keep your thoughts on the things of heaven, the truths of God, rather than the problems of this world. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you, and we ask that you would help us take these next steps to grow in our prayer life, that our conversations with you would get deeper, more meaningful, more raw, more authentic, more genuine, more real, Oh, that we would just constantly keep our thoughts on you. God, I pray that you would protect our minds, that you would guard our hearts and our thoughts, that you would not allow the the lies and the half-truths to hijack or take hold of our mind, but that our thoughts through prayer would constantly be focused on you. So strengthen us as we pray. Draw us close as we pray. And remind us that you are in control as we pray. In your name, we pray. Amen.